0: amen thank you pastor john well good morning everybody it's great to see you i hope you're doing well if you are online welcome to new hope church right here in the minneapolis area all right so let me just call out the obvious by suggesting that you do not walk your 50 pound six month old puppy in flip-flops on hard asphalt for 45 minutes or you will ret your back all right And so uh, I, I, uh, my, my chiropractor says, no, you can't stand Sunday when you preach, have a stool available. So can, can I just acknowledge right now I'm sitting down and is that okay? And, uh, all right. Okay. So I'm so, thank you. Thank you so much, Beth. I appreciate that. um, I, uh, this is so on me to sit here and preach, but you know I'm going to give it a go, right? Uh, listen, can we also just say a word of thanks yet again to Sandy and Dan and their friends that are with them? Uh, what a blessing! What a blessing. You guys, thank you so much for being here and for loving our church family like you do, and uh, leading us to this beautiful throne of grace, where our Jesus is exalted and we want to exalt him. And hey, Last weekend, I figured out I really don't have a job anymore. I mean, my goodness, when, when uh, those three students got up and preached, were they not fantastic? My goodness. I'm standing back there during the first service, and I'm sitting up with Miss Krista during the second worship gathering, and I'm thinking, I am living the dream right here with all of our students leading us in worship and serving us like they were all around the facility, And uh, having Isaiah and Purpose and Natalia preach for us that morning, and wow, what a message. Right into the heart of Philippians 2, and this humble Jesus who uh, humbled himself even unto death. And and my goodness, wasn't it great? So can we just praise the Lord one more time for them? And uh, oh, my goodness, I was a proud papa as it were, uh, just, just worshiping with our church family last weekend. All right, so as Pastor John said today, we're starting a new series. I'm so excited about this, and I want to preface it with this statement. This is for everybody, but men. I am especially preaching to you these next three Sundays. So this is for everybody, okay? Boys and girls, young and old, women, but men. I am especially singling you out, and I want you to listen. I want you to lean in and hear, and I want you to join me in getting an imagination for the unique ways God has wired us and wants us to step up and to serve him and to lead around us. So uh, let me pray toward that end, and we'll just dive right in. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, for your tender care for us. Thank you, Lord, for how you uh, meet us in the midst of of all that we're about here as a church family. Thank you, oh God of heaven, that you are powerful and mighty and that your spirit is not a spirit of scarcity but of great power and resource to pour out upon us even today to show us Jesus and to make us more like him. So God, bring that about. I know you've got a word for us today and I trust you'll use even one like me toward that end. In the name of Jesus and all of God's people, said together, amen, amen. So, the sages of old, the sages of old tell of a powerful king who was pompous, selfish, and demeaning. One story goes that he ordered all of his armies that they could not eat a bite of food until either dusk had fallen or his enemies had been defeated. Never mind the fact that the army was famished, exhausted, and dispirited. This king's son was on a mission and had not gotten word about this order. And so he's going along and he sees this honeycomb off in the bushes. And he takes his staff and dips it into the rich golden honey and brings it up to his mouth. And he partakes of that wonderful food. And his eyes are brightened and his body is strengthened and his heart is replenished. But then his father gets word that he had violated the king's command and his father set out to kill him. Can you imagine, your own son? And it would have happened except that the army so loved this son that they intervened on behalf of the boy And the king relented. The sages tell of another powerful king, a successor to the one I just referenced. It was common during that epoch of history that a king would go off and kill his rivals to the throne. Even and perhaps especially if the rivals had some hereditary privilege toward the throne. Well, this king, indeed, he sought out his rivals. And he found one, but instead of threatening him, he offered that rival an invitation. Come and live in my palace for the rest of your life. Come and dine at my table with my sons and my generals and my counselors for the rest of your life. Come and enter into my inner circle for the rest of your life. And indeed, that rival did do those things for the rest of his life. My beloved friends, what we have here are two competing worldviews. Two significant kinds of values. And they are... Values that not only impact all of us, but to some degree or another, any one of us, girls and boys, young and old, men and women, might employ at some point or another in our lives. But today, and in these days ahead, while these two values have a broad impact... What I want to focus on is the way in which these two worldviews, these two sets of values, give us a glimpse at two prevailing kinds of masculinity in today's culture. Two kinds of masculinity. One which is marked by the pursuit of power, control, One that is pompous, self-righteous, condescending. Where those who walk it out are about taking. And whether they intend it or not, they are demeaning. That is what is pictured by the first king. The second king offers a perspective of Generosity, of grace of care of mercy of gentleness he is also powerful but it is a wielding of power that makes people big whereas the first king uses power to make people small and these tell us a story about masculinity in our culture today and obviously it is the way of the second king that would be preferable and I'm so thankful for the greatest king of all Jesus Jesus who says these words you'll notice this he says the thief the thief he comes to steal and kill and destroy but I have come he says I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now that's a great vision right there, is it not? That's a powerful picture of how then we how then we should live. Now when we look in the scriptures one of the things we recognize is that there are these literary features that help us have understanding about the scriptures. Scholars throughout the ages have said that that second king, his name is King David. Well, he is the immediate successor to the first king. His name is King Saul. Their stories, the stories I just shared, are found in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Well, scholars have said throughout the ages that King David is what is called a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's also known as a type for Jesus. That is to say that the life of David offers a hint at the kind of life which is the life of Jesus who would come many generations later, millennia later. And so David serves as a type of foreshadowing. If you and I were to fast forward through some generations, we would come to a prophecy about Jesus that is also a foreshadowing. It gives you a a tease about who Jesus is and how he will live. And it also says something about those of us who follow Jesus. And that prophecy is in Isaiah chapter 32. And I want to invite you to turn there, to to find it there in your handheld device or flip there in your hard copy of your Bible, whatever you have, Isaiah chapter 32. In Isaiah chapter 32, I want to focus first on verse 1. And here's what it says. You'll see it. It's on the screen here, as well as in front of you, perhaps. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Now, this is an incredible prophecy given about seven centuries before Jesus was born. And I want you to notice the very first line there. This issue of, behold, a king will reign in righteousness. It is a direct reference to King Jesus, the ultimate righteous one. It is a reminder that this Jesus is, in fact, the righteous Messiah King. Now, you've heard me many times from our platform here give a definition of Jesus as Messiah. It's very simple. It is that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king, chosen and anointed by God to redeem sinners and make all things new. This is Jesus. This Jesus who lived a sinless life, but then was betrayed by a friend, Arrested by the authorities, tried in a farcical court of law, tortured, crucified, executed on a Roman cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead in triumphant glory. Is that not great news? And then he ascended into the heavenly realms where he is seated at his father's right hand, pleading for the saints, pleading for Christians throughout time and in all quarters of the earth. And friends, one day he will return in victorious glory. And I can't wait for that day. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. This Jesus, the righteous king, but Isaiah 32.1 also says that he has with him others that are considered royalty. And mark my words, ladies and gentlemen, that's a reference to all of you who are in Christ. Every one of us who are in Christ, we rule with him. We reign with him. We are princesses and princes of the Most High King, Jesus And praise God for this. We who have called on him, confessing him as Savior and Lord, it is a reference to you and me as well. But for our purposes here, I want to give particular attention to the men that are listening. And while it is a broad reference, I'm going to, Focus it on you men. And I need you to listen here. Because what we have is a vision that is cast for not only how all of us followers ought to live, but certainly for how us men ought to live. And we see it right there. Behold, a king reigns in righteousness and princes will rule with justice. And praise God for this. But then we find out how. And men, I need you to pay attention. I need you to see what is done here by these princes. And so look with me in Isaiah 32, verse 2. Isaiah 32, verse 2, it says this. Each, now let me pause here. The each is a reference to the king. Hear me now, friends. It's a reference to the king. But it is also a reference to the princes, to the followers, to the royal court. Each. That means you. Boys and girls, women and men, guys. But today I'm talking to you specifically. Each will. Will. Will be like, and so right away with that language we see, here's a picture of who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to live, each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock, in a weary land. Now that says something about King Jesus. And there's a great old hymn that talks about how he is a a shelter from the storm and a, a, a shading rock in a weary land. But it's not just about Jesus. Men, it's about you. It's about me. I have to wrestle with Is that a description of me as a disciple of Jesus? Is it a description of me as a man of God? Do the people around me experience my presence in such a way that I would be like a shelter to them from the storms? Do the people around me experience my presence in such a way that I would, for all intents and purposes, replenish them like a river in a dry place. Do the people around me experience me in such a way that I am like the cool shade on a very hot and blustery day? Men, Do the people in your world experience that with you? I want you to really ask yourself that question How is my presence felt? Do I convey the values of my King, the greater King, King Jesus? This is a vision that is cast. There's an opportunity here for a legacy that changes lives. Men, can you find yourself in that legacy making? Might you be more aligned with King David, the foreshadower of the greater King Jesus? Or might you and I be more like King Saul? Do you make people small or do you make them big? Are you about power or empowerment? Do you refresh people by virtue of your very existence and how you carry yourself as a man? Or do you wear people out with the sheer force of your self-centeredness? Now, I'm asking these questions because I think they must be asked. I look at our world today and I see the way our culture is, the way our families are. I look into the church and I see the way people carry themselves and the way men carry themselves. And there's this whole narrative out there within evangelicalism that celebrates this kind of masculinity that is ugly and demeaning. And it's all about making people small so that the little boy in the grown man's body can feel big. And it is an affront to a holy God. And it is nothing like the ultimate man, Jesus. By the way, next weekend, Lord willing, we will dive more deeply into the life, the person, the work of this ultimate man, Jesus, Pontius Pilate, the governor who would crucify Jesus, he had no idea what he was saying when the tortured Jesus is now presented to the raucous crowd and with an outstretched arm, Pontius Pilate says, Behold the man. Yeah, he's the man, all right. And he's far more than that. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next weekend in greater depth. And we will look from Ephesians chapter 5 about how this man loves. And we will take very specific cues from this ultimate man. Guys, be ready. Be ready. But for right now, today, we not only see a vision for how we princes are to lead, but we see the effect, the effect. And I want you to look with me in Isaiah 32, verses three and four, because if we are princes walking alongside our king, and we have a vision that has been given to us to be, as it were, the shelter from the storm and the shade in the weary land. What is the effect of this? What would be the effect? I want you to look, Isaiah 32, verses 3 and 4. Then, now notice the then. All right, so it is, here. here is the reality. A king and his princes ruling in righteousness and justice. And here's their vision, shelter from the storm, water in the dry place, shade in the hot sun. Then, here's the result, then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed. And the ears of those who hear will give attention and the heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. Now, let me pause a minute here. You'll recall a few moments ago when I shared about this Jesus, the Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king, who is chosen, anointed by God to redeem sinners and make all things new. This is a wonderful glimpse of what that newness will look like. The blind will see, the deaf will hear. Praise God for that. And we see throughout even the New Testament these allusions to what Jesus is going to bring about in the consummation of all things. But we can still do this. You see, what you see when you read verses three and four, hear me now, church. Guys, hear me, listen to me. Every man, listen. Every boy, listen. What we see here is that because we take our cues from Jesus and lead like him, and we convey his spirit, his values, to the world around us the result is safety and satisfaction comes about for those around us and let me tell you something everyone listen here there is hardly a greater longing among reasonable people all across the globe than the hunger for emotional, physical, social, spiritual safety and satisfaction. To just be safe and to flourish as a human being. Men, this is part of what we ought to bring about. This is what we ought to do. This is who we ought to be. Our world is starving for men to rise up. Rise up, O oh men of God. Be done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. It's a great old hymn, one of my favorites. Our world is starving. Our boys and girls are longing for a place of safety. The women in our lives are desperate for places of safety where they don't need to be afraid or ashamed or worried. And our king, our king makes it possible that that kind of environment can come about and guess what we don't have to wait until his glorious return we can affect that change right now through the power of God's spirit and we must we must and there are there are three three ways of thinking about this this great result, three ways of thinking about this great result. Let me share those with you. And all of you listen, but guys, and I know I keep repeating it, men, men, right? Listen, listen to me. Three, three ways that we see these results. So here's the first one, number one. When men lead like Jesus, there is clarity and purpose. You hear that? When men lead like Jesus... There is clarity, and there is purpose. When you look at the passage, you see the eyes of those who see will not be closed. They get to see. There's clarity. The ears of those who hear will give attention. People will have the opportunity to witness what is true, what is real, what is good, what is beautiful in life. As men lead like Christ, truth and authenticity and goodness and beauty erupt. And the eyes of people are open and the ears are open. And they get to absorb that which is glorious and good. And they're encouraged. They're made hopeful. They get a vision that life can actually be meaningful and good. It doesn't have to be painful and traumatic. Secondly, secondly here, I want you to see, when men lead like Jesus, there is calm and peace. There's calm. There's peace. Verse 4, it says, the heart of the hasty. Now, in the Hebrew world, listen to me now. Uh, If I can, I'm going to geek out with you for just a moment. In the Hebrew world, that word for hasty embodies a whole word group referencing anxiety. So imagine your your hastiness is because you're just all worked up. You're anxious, you're right, and and so when it talks about hastiness, it's a it's an oblique reference to profound anxiety, and the text tells us that when men when these princes rule with justice, the heart of those who are anxious it'll give way to understanding and knowledge, and you know what it's like from a sermon just two or three weeks ago. It's like that they could just breathe. How many of you just want to just breathe deeply, safely, right? Right? And because men would lead like Jesus, calm and peaceableness will come about. And those who are anxious, they could just breathe. And in so doing, they get to experience this. They get to experience The shalom of Christ. Peace. Our Lord Jesus, remember what he says in John 14, 27. My my peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. That ought to be said of every man as well. That when we're present, that is what happens. Thirdly, thirdly, look up here with me. When men lead like Jesus, there is courage and power. Right? Courage, power. People can stand up a little straighter. I'd do so now, except my back hurts. There's courage and there's power. And when you look in the text... It says here, the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. Why does somebody stammer? I know what I do when I'm afraid. Now, I want you to listen to me. When I'm afraid, I talk a little faster. I I I I I, I, I sort of get worked up. I I, I can hardly. I, I don't know what to really. I don't know how to speak because I, I'm just I'm anxious. I'm I'm fearful. I I'm, I'm trying to cover myself, protect myself, and. I'm stammering, but when a man leads, taking his cues from King Jesus, the effect is I don't need to stammer. I don't need to be afraid. I actually can have courage and the confidence to speak distinctly and with clarity and with authority and with goodwill, and with humility, and in a way that builds others up and doesn't either put them down or find myself gaslighting my own soul. When men lead like Jesus, courage and power erupt among those around them, and lives are emboldened, And praise God. Now, hear me. As I said, next week we'll look more fully at this Jesus. We're going to see just how he loves. And men, all of us, but men, we're going to take our cues from him. How does he love? We're going to see that. Be ready to take notes. But until then, let me just remind you of something. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he's there with his disciples. And before the meal, he did something extraordinary. He washed their feet. You remember this? Those of you who know the story, he washed their feet. with a towel and a basin on his hands and his knees." And you'll see it on the screen here in a second. When he got up, he shared this verse with them from John chapter 13. "'I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you.'" And so men. When King Jesus embodies this heart that is a shelter in the storms and a heart that is like a river in the deserts and a heart that is like a shade in a dry and weary land, that King Jesus also later says, as I have done, so must you. This is who you need to be. There's two prevailing worldviews. The one that makes people small or the one that makes people big. Jesus always makes people big and he calls us to do the same. Men, he calls you to do the same. And where does that power come from? Where does his authority come from that he would call us to such? later, On that same night when he was finished washing the feet, Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover. And in the middle of that meal, Jesus took some bread and he broke it. And he said to the disciples, he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. And the disciples had no clue what he was talking about. What in the world? Your your body? that. What they didn't know, but of course Jesus knew, was in a matter of hours, his body would be broken on that cross. And I love the reality that the sinless, holy Jesus became broken so all of us broken, sinful people could be made whole. It is an incredible thing that he has done. Later in that same meal, Jesus took a goblet of wine, and he passed it to his disciples and he said to them, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it as often as you will in remembrance of me. And again, the disciples had to wonder, what is he talking? His blood, new covenant. What they couldn't fathom but of course he knew was in a matter of hours his blood would be spilled from that Roman cross. And you've heard me say it countless times, dear ones. There is no more precious commodity in all of time and space than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It alone cleanses us from our sins, washing us, making us whole. And it is the seal by which we are declared righteous and where we are declared His forevermore. That's His authority, to be king. And in these moments, as Sandy and Dan lead us, you've got those elements in front of you in a spirit of confession or gratitude, renewal. Take those, as you will, quietly before the Lord. I'm so grateful to be with you.